Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's jump out to The Zone phone. Joining us now, uh, he is the founder of JumpBall.net. He writes for the Bleacher Report, hosts podcast for The Athletic, not to mention a uh, former longtime NBA video coordinator. He's Mo DeKeel with us here on The Big Show. Hi, Mo. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourselves? Hey, we're doing terrific. Uh, we are the home of the Utah Jazz, meaning uh, home of the hottest team in the league right now. So things <laughs> things are going all right. Yeah, not not too much to complain about when you guys are on fire like this. Uh, no doubt. Well, give us your overall thoughts, and I'm sure we'll get dive into the specifics. But your thoughts on what you've seen from this Jazz team thus far? You know, the thing that's most interesting is this is the team everybody was expecting last season, right? And I think it's you're seeing everybody more comfortable in their roles. It's not just Mike Connolly, you know, having a better understanding of the system and, and, and a better feel after his first season. But, you know, Joe Ingles going to the bench was an adjustment for him last season, and he's more comfortable in that role. Getting Derek Favors back has been huge in terms of somebody that already knows the system, and him and Ingles have a good thing going. So they're able to kind of keep that synergy going and, and so on. So I think – you know, they're playing at a great level. And the other thing, too, is they've just been red hot from three. And I think that's been a big thing for them. Well, we've watched them hit those deep shots. And it doesn't seem like any kind of fluke. It seems like it's a natural progression uh, and utilization of their talents. Do you think that the way the Jazz are playing is sustainable, not just in the long run, but against whoever comes down the, the, the path? Yeah, because even when they're not hitting shots, and there's not been a lot of games where they haven't hit shots, but they're still a solid defensive team. So I think they always have that they can lean back to, to fall back on. But when you look at the way they're getting shots, you know, a lot of it is off of penetration and kick. It's rolls from Rudy Gobert that's sucking in the defenses. I mean, they're getting a lot of open looks just off of that stuff and, and, and how the ball is moving. So I you know, there's going to be games where they're just not going to be, make a shot. Like, we're going to have a game where they're going to go, and you're going to be like, man, they only have six threes at this point? Like, what's going on? But their defense is solid. They have that commitment. They attack the paint. You know, they have a roller in Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell does a phenomenal job of getting into the paint, and whether that's for his own shot or for creating for others, he's capable of doing that. So I think they're they're in a good, good shape for, for their going forward in the season. You know, for a lot of us uh, non-basketball people, Mo, we fall back on stats, right, to to reflect how productive or not somebody is. And when it comes to Rudy Gobert, I think it's unfair because I don't think there are ready-made stats to really express his value. So as a, as a guy who watched NBA tape for a long, long time and, uh, you know, did that for a living and now is in the business of kind of translating that knowledge you know, to us everyday bozo radio guys. Help us uh, understand the true value of Rudy Gobert and his game. 
Well, I think, you know, obviously we see what he does on the defensive end, right? Like, it's not just blocking shots or even altering shots. He just full-on discourages shots. Guys will drive in the lane and see it's Rudy Gobert there, and they'll be like, okay, I think I'm just going to go the other way now. Um, I think that's kind of what Rudy provides on the defensive end in that aspect. Offensively, the things he does is, you know, he sets solid screens, and, you know, obviously besides just opening up a teammate when he does that, when he rolls, defenses have plans where they got to suck in and you got to tag on that role. Because if you don't, you know, Donovan Mitchell is going to throw a lob up for Rudy Gobert. Joe Ingles is going to find it. Mike Connolly, all these guys are capable passers out of the pick and roll are going to find him. Or even when they get off the ball and it goes to the wing, you know, it, they're going to be able to find Rudy if you're not covering the role. So you got to pull in. And what that does is it opens other things up and it forces the defense to have to move. And by doing that, it gives you other avenues for which the offense can attack. And that's something we can't really statistically provide in any way of saying Rudy's provided X amount of lanes. You know, it's just the the way it works. There's no way to kind of prove that stuff, but it's just sort of how it manipulates and contorts the defense. Speaking of the stats, Mo, it seems as though uh, there are a bunch of players on the Jazz who, who don't really care about stats. Yeah, they want to fill their role who was it, Jake, who said we want to fill the role to perfection? Who it was, was it? To be a star in their role, and that was George Niang. Yeah, George Niang said that, but that's even true of Donovan Mitchell. You get, even though Rudy and Donovan are all stars, I don't think those guys. I'm pretty convinced that they don't care whether they get 22 or 29 or 17 points as long as the team benefits. Well, I mean that's a big thing, and. and- that that phrase being a star in your role is something that I heard a bunch from Doc Rivers too. Like this is a normal thing, you know. This is your role; you got to be great at it, and you can do so much. This is almost a life lesson. You can do so much in life if you don't care about the credit. If you're not concerned about who's getting the credit, just go do it. I think you can get a lot done, and I think that's what matters on the basketball court, especially with what you're seeing with the Jets. Just a, also a good group of guys. They all get along so well. We know the stories from last season and the issues. It looks like they've gotten past that and, and, and have moved on, and, and, and everybody looks to enjoy each other. And by doing that, they're all kind of elevating their play. It's the same phrase as, you know, rising tides lifts all ships. You know, if you're on a championship-level team, you're going to get a lot of credit. <laughs> Don't have to worry about the stats too much. So let's talk about this Laker team that's in town to take on the Jazz uh, tonight. And they're going to be without Dennis Schroeder. They're going to be without Anthony Davis. Um, there's a narrative going uh, around about, you know, can LeBron uh, handle the wear and tear of so much of a load? And I, I've got to admit, I, I, I with the short off season and now really he's expected to carry the team in the doldrums of the season and he's doing it, you know, because he's, he's not human, but is, is that a concern wear and tear on LeBron this year? It has to be. And I know all the quotes, you know, LeBron makes and things like that, but that's why the Lakers won and got those guys in the off season. Part of it was we're going to be able to have a very strong team and not ask LeBron to do as much problem is that requires those guys to be on the court. Anthony Davis isn't available. Dennis Schroeder isn't available. And the Lakers just don't have any other playmakers after that. You'll 
if you haven't seen a Laker game lately, you know, you'll see it tonight when you watch the Jazz play. Whenever LeBron comes off the court, the offense just sputters because there's nobody else that you really feel comfortable with that's going to be able to run the offense and get things going. And when LeBron's on the court, he's got to be on the ball to create for everybody else because he's the best passer on the team. And, you know, that's true with the other guys are, are available too. But on top of it, you know, those guys, the guys like Alex Caruso and those guys just aren't at the level of a passer in the way that Dennis Schroeder can get you into offense, the way Anthony Davis can create looks by getting double teams and things like that. So it does put a ton of pressure on LeBron with, you know, not having those guys. And it's going to be a concern for the Lakers going forward. So, Mo, maybe you answered uh, my question uh, partially there. But if you were the Jazz, what would you? What strategy would you employ to beat this Lakers team tonight? You know, I think a big thing tonight is just don't let the other guys get off. LeBron's going to get his points, right? He, you got to make it a little bit difficult for him. But LeBron's going to get his numbers because, yeah, you, one of you guys said it already. I mean, he's practically not human. <laughs> you know, the, he, he's going to create. But you can't let guys like can't let Kyle Kuzma go off for 20-something points and knock down threes and off of open looks and get out in transition. You can't let Alex Caruso come in and affect the game. You can't let Taylor Horton Tucker come in and get into the lane a bunch with easy drives and things like that. I think it's just a matter of making sure you cover the other guys and put it so that it's all on LeBron because I just don't know if he's going to be able to, to just beat this Jazz team on his own. Mo, uh, looking around the rest of the NBA a little bit, do you think this grand experiment in Brooklyn is going to work? Well, it's looking great right now. I think the ultimate thing is the, the, the ultimate decider is going to be the playoffs, right, and if they can get to the finals. I think they're playing really well together. Part of it is, you know, they haven't had to figure out how to get all three guys involved at the same time because KD's been out for, I think, the past six or seven games. So I think, you know, you you haven't had to try to figure that offense out altogether and how to build that defense. But when they have these two guys in Kyrie Irving and James Harden on the court, they're flowing well, and they've kind of fallen into the role where James Harden is the lead ball handler playmaker, and Kyrie's kind of falling into that scoring role. And I think it's, it's rolling pretty well right now. But it'll be a lot different when teams are able to scheme come playoff time and lock in and focus, whereas in the regular season, you're just trying to survive game to game. You don't have necessarily the time to do a deep dive into how you want to attack a team. Well, in your opinion, who's the most improved team in the NBA this year? Is it the Jazz or is it the Suns or is it the Sixers or who, who would you who would you say? I really want to cheat and just say all of the above. Uh, <laughs> they've, all, they've all upgraded. But I think I'm going to go with Philadelphia, and the main reason why is they looked so bad at the end of last season. They didn't look like a cohesive unit. They didn't look like they, they were comfortable with each other. Granted, moves have been made. They have a roster that fits more together. Joel Embiid is in great shape and looking like the MVP of the season. You have Tobias Harris playing great under Doc Rivers, and you got to give a lot of credit for Doc coming in and changing things and, and the mood. And then Ben Simmons is rolling now, and, and and he's looking pretty solid. I mean, he's unbelievable defensively, but he's been more and more aggressive on the offensive end lately, which gives this team a bit of an edge. I just think themselves, just almost the, by the aura around them being completely different, I feel like you got to give it to them as the most improved team. But all three of these teams and, and a few others that we can talk about, 
all have done a, a great job this season, kind of changing and moving forward. We saw the the Clippers a couple of times last week. Uh, Jazz won one, and then they lost one when Kawhi and Paul George and Nicholas Batum came back. And you know they certainly look as formidable as we all thought that they were were going to be. But then, of course, the memory of the bubble looms. What, who are the real Clippers? Yeah, I think sometimes we got to be a little bit careful with with what they did in the bubble, just because of the fact that that was such a strange situation and scenario for everybody. You know, I think it, it, it really challenged a lot of players and coaches, for that matter, in terms of how to how to deal with almost the isolation they dealt with. You know, I think we're somewhere in the middle. I think the Clippers have a chance to be really good. They still have areas where I'm I'm worried about. I still think they need another ball handler. But ultimately, when they're rolling, I mean, they got everything. They got defense. They got scoring with Kawhi and PG. You know, they're they're in pretty good shape. I just don't think I think people are holding last season against them a little bit too much at this point. I think we just got to see what they have right now. And so far, when they've been on the court, they've looked great. How dangerous are the Suns? They're definitely dangerous. There's no question. You got to look at them and say, you know, any team with Chris Paul is always going to have a puncher's chance because Chris is just a constant puncher, right? Like he changes things everywhere he's gone. I mean, you look at what he did with Oklahoma City, and you're watching what he's doing with Phoenix. Then on top of that, Devin Booker is just an elite talent, an unbelievable scorer, and I still think there are areas in his game that he can make other leaps in, which he eventually will, and he'll be another superstar in our league. You know, when when it gets to the playoffs is really where I'm going to be interested in this team because really besides Chris Paul, besides Jay Crowder, not a lot of playoff experience on that roster. And we all know it's a different beast come playoff time. It's a whole different league, basically. And I'll be very curious to see how they handle their first playoff appearance. You know, I, I, they're dangerous, but I'm probably not at the point where I'm too concerned of them come playoff time. You think Devin Booker is a shoe in to replace AD in the All Star game, or does Mike Conley have a chance? It's going to be really, really close. Uh, it's, it's. I think it's just between those two guys. When you look at it, you know, uh, Booker probably has the the better number and almost the more pizzazz, which probably isn't fair to hold against Mike Connolly. But you know, I think also everybody's rooting for Connolly to make the team after so many years. So. Uh, I really think it's going to be a toss-up. Either way, one guy is going to get snubbed and one guy is going to deservedly get the, the, the chance. It's just a tough scenario to be in. Well, I should know this, but I I, it, I don't recall it right now. How is the uh, would be an added player chosen? I, I believe it's the commissioner makes the decision on who, who replaces the injured player. So it's going to be on Adam Silver to decide. So... Uh, it's, it's a fun time for Adam Silver. He always had, uh, uh, fun to have to make the tough decisions. You know, on the one hand, uh, picking a young player, uh, a promising young player, might promote him more and help the league. On the other hand is the sentimentality factor that you just mentioned with Mike Conley, and he's come close so many times before but never been in this game. Boy, I wonder. It really makes you wonder which way uh, the commissioner would lean on that. Well, we're, we're going to find out. I think it's just going to be a, a, a tough decision. And either way, you know, whoever doesn't go is going to feel slighted, and I understand it just because, you know, they're both having great seasons. And it, it, there's, there's no – anytime you have an all-star 
team selection kind of situations is always snubbed. Somebody said to me the other day, if you just expand the team to 14, I go, great. We can complain about who <laughs> the other guys who didn't make it. It's just we're always going to have a list of snubs. It's just the way this works. So want to hit you with something really random, Mo. All right, this is – but Gordon oh, and I went down this road yesterday, and I'm curious is if you have any thoughts. It seems like the Western Conference has been the better conference for a long time now. And maybe – I mean, maybe you disagree with that point to begin with, but that, that was kind of where we jumped into the conversation. Why – if you agree with that, why do you think that is? I think it's cyclical. You guys are right. The, the, the Western Conference has been ex- much tougher over the past few years. I mean, when you look at just who, the, the record of the eight seeds over the years in the West and versus the East, it's, it's very rarely uh, uh, a team that's uh, below 500. And if they are, it's just barely by like a game or two. In the East, it's always some team that's, that's four or five games below 500, it feels like. I, I don't really have a good answer as to why, you know, it just seems cyclical sometimes. And I feel like in the, in the West, you're constantly having to battle and you have to get ready. And if you're going to be a good team in the West, you're always looking to add more talent. And it, it's almost like an arms race in the West. So you're constantly trying to beef up. The East has gotten better this year though. I want to, you know, the, the past two or three seasons that, the East has gotten better, more exciting with some more interesting teams. I think since LeBron left, I think more teams have jumped in the fray saying this is our time. So, you know, I don't have a clean answer. I just think sometimes it's 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 a cyclical thing, and at some point we're going to have a situation where the East is going to be just so much better than the West. You know, I, I keep thinking that maybe it is cyclical, but I can't remember the last time it was the East, Mo. It's, it's, <laughs> and we're we're in the West. I, you know, maybe we're maybe we're biased somehow. But man, as long as I can remember, it seems it was that way. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I almost got to go back to the '90s. You know, when I was watching the, as a, as as a kid, when it was, you know, you had the Pacers. I mean, obviously the Bulls were dominant, but you had the Pacers, the Knicks. Um, you know. Miami was popping off at, at some points during that run. I mean, there was, that's probably the closest time when you almost had more parity across both both conferences. I just feel like slowly the, the paradigm has shifted towards the West, and eventually it'll, it'll slide back to the East, I think. I don't know when. could still be a long while, but I think it'll, 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 eventually it'll happen. Well, Mo, thank you for jumping on with us, man. That was a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Hey, there you go. Thank you. Uh, Mo DeKeel with us. Again, he's the founder of thejumpball.net. Uh, he writes for Bleacher Report. He does podcasts for The Athletic, uh, former video coordinator for the Clippers, Spurs, and the Australian men's basketball team. He's good. I yeah, like him. Yeah, he is good. He's, yeah, nice get good. there, Austin. And I, I do. I asked him that question about Rudy. You know, uh, oftentimes I think Rudy runs into that where it's it's hard if you're not watching Rudy every night to really describe the value to the team. I mean, you know, if you watch all the, like Mo was describing, I mean, if you watch all those players go into the lane, look up, see Rudy (laughs) and completely change their mind and flee the paint. I mean, it happens all the time, but there's no, there's no stat, you know, scared uh, driver, you know, there's no, that, that doesn't uh, get printed up in the uh, San Jose Mercury Gazette. 
You know, so like it's hard to describe those those types of scenarios and their true value when it comes to winning basketball games. But I'll, I'll tell you this, Gordon, if you look at the Jazz roster and you take Rudy off it, they would be a bad basketball team defensively. I I think that's a fair thing. But you put Rudy on it and well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they'd be an average basketball team. He takes them from average to top five. I mean, it's how do you appropriately demonstrate that to somebody who's not watching everything? I we're right. You got to watch everything, and, and what you said about players who enter the lane, but but they're even hesitant to do that because they know uh, as part of the pregame preparation they know that Rudy is there. But sometimes I think they forget, and so they do what they normally do, and then you see that surge. Dribble completely extended, uh, exit stage left, and uh, leave where they normally would go because of Rudy. And then, Jake, that affects a lot of things. It, it affects the quality of the shot that eventually is found because the shot clock is ticking, right? And the two favored shots in the NBA, as we've often talked about, are the three-pointer and the shot at the rim. Well, Rudy makes it very much more difficult for a team to get those shots at the rim. And often, uh, when when teams do get that shot at the rim, at least a good shot, it's usually because somebody else is beaten and Rudy has to, to, to slide over and then the ball gets uh, delivered to the man he was originally covering and, and then he scores. But it, it gets more complicated in there, and it's all because of him. You know whose fault that is, by the way, right? The guard on the wing who's not helping the helper. <laughs> okay, so break that down for us, Jay. Well, when Rudy goes to help somebody, then Rudy's guy is standing all alone underneath the basket. So the defender in the corner needs to rotate down and take away the dunk. And, you you know, when it works, you know it because they'll either really foul the guy or they'll uh, get in the way of the pass, Right. Uh, or, you know, if they're good enough or big enough, they can cut it off altogether. But we saw it a zillion times with uh, with John Stockton and Jeff Hornacek, you know, being the last line of defense. And how many times did, did John wrap up a, you know, Patrick Ewing down there and keep him from getting a dunk, right? Well, when it does happen like that and somebody like that? Doesn't, doesn't help the helper, like uh, that. Then, the team, then the team often scores – Two. Yeah, nice. 